WERU Community Radio depends on listener feedback in order to serve our audience well. For the next few weeks, through Friday, July 15th, we ask that you take five minutes to complete our online listener survey at WERU.org. Let us know what you think about and expect from your community radio station. What's the best time of day for you to listen to local public affairs programming? What is your preferred method of listening to WERU? What are some of your favorite programs? These are just a few of the questions we are asking. By taking the survey, you're helping WERU to service listeners and community. Plus, everyone who takes the survey will be entered into a drawing for WERU hats and t-shirts. Thanks in advance for taking time to add your voice to the voice of many voices. This survey is made possible by a grant from the Maine Community Foundation. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time's 10 o'clock on the dot, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Coastal Conversations with your host, Natalie Springle, is up next. Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and to our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Today on our show, we'll be exploring the topic of Leave No Trace in Acadia National Park and stewardship for the next 100 years. Acadia is turning 100 this year, as you may likely have heard, and Acadia has a legacy of incredible stewardship and devotion by millions of people locally and around the world. But so many people, no matter how caring they are, can have an impact on the places they love to visit, and they can even have an impact on the experiences of their fellow visitors. So in honor of Acadia's centennial, today we're exploring how visitors can minimize their impact on the park and on surrounding areas, and what it means to practice leave no trace in outdoor settings. So I'm excited with our guests today. I'm happy to have you all join us. We are joined by three people in the studio, and we're going to have one guest call in a little bit later. Um, we have Charlie Jacoby, who's a natural resource specialist from Acadia National Park in the studio with us today. Hi, Charlie. Welcome. Hi, Natalie. Uh, thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. Great. Thanks. And then we have two Subaru Leave No Trace traveling trainers from the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics. We have Steph Watton. Hi, Steph. Hi, Steph. Hi, Natalie. Thanks so much for having us. Great. We're, we're excited to be here. And we also have Andy Mossy. Did I say that right? That's correct. Great. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. 
Great, glad to have you. And then a little bit later, we will be joined on the phone by Samantha White, who's the program manager from Ripple Effect, and she'll tell us what Ripple Effect is. And she's also the state, the main state advocate advocate for Leave No Trace. So we're about to embark on a really great conversation here about what it means to practice Leave No Trace in Acadia and beyond. Um, let's start by turning to Charlie, who's our Acadia National Park representative here in the room um, in his full Acadia regalia all the green that you can imagine of a ranger <laughs> for those who are not in with us. Um, so it's the Acadia Centennial. Acadia has been a park for a hundred years. Um, Charlie, give us a little bit of context about visitation in the park and um, sort of a little bit about why it's important to think about um, the impact that visitors might have on the park. Uh, sure, Natalie. Thanks. Um, Acadia has always been a very busy place. Um, there was a time um, in the uh, mid-90s to early 2000s when visitation actually dropped, but we've been creeping up again for the last 10 years. And actually, the last three years, we've seen a couple significant jumps in visitation from 2.2 million visits to 2.5 million visits, and last year, 2.8 million visits to the park. That's an awful lot of people in a very small space. Uh, our roads and carriage roads and trails are extremely busy starting right about now. The Island Explorer bus just started yesterday. And, um, and so with all these folks uh, uh, visiting the park, it's really essential for us to have their help. We need everybody's help to be a steward of the park. It's just uh, uh, we can't do it alone. And uh, with, with Leave No Trace, uh, I think um, we'll be in a better place uh, for the next 100 years. Great. Great. Thanks, Charlie. Um, so we've been throwing around already a term, leave no trace, right? And so I think folks can kind of imagine what that means. Some people might be familiar with the term on sort of the, the typical things that people think about when they spend time in the outdoors, pack it in, pack it out, um, all the, you know, all the ways that we can behave so that we don't uh, impact the environment. But um, Andy, can you tell us a, a little bit more about what what Leave No Trace is, um, and, and then you guys can share a little bit about what the Center for um, Leave No Trace is itself. Well, Leave No Trace is a national movement, and simply put, it's about enjoying your natural world in a responsible way. So if we can enjoy our world in a responsible way, that place will be better off for it. Now, it's important to realize that Leave No Trace isn't a set of rules or regulations, but it's a set of science-based guidelines. So if we can follow these guidelines, our places that we love to visit will be better off for it. That's everything from making sure that our trash makes it to the nearest garbage can, or if we don't have one, we can put it into our pack or our pocket to carry it out for later. Great. And uh, I heard you say that it's a, it's a science-based program. So uh, I think when I hear the term leave no trace, I think of sort of behavior that people might do in the outdoors. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by science-based. Well, all of our guidelines that we recommend have actual science-based research that we utilize so that we can help inform everyone, including visitors and even our park rangers, on what appropriate actions are within the park or wherever we are that we're exploring. Um, so it's important to realize that everything that we're saying isn't coming from nowhere. It's coming from all of these really hard, set and fast research studies that um, a lot of people have done within the industry. Uh, everything from recreation ecology, measuring trail widths, um, to even our interactions and psychological components with the people who are out there, getting out there and having a good time. So how they interact with those environments and why they choose to do certain things while they're exploring. Great, great. Um, and uh, Steph, you guys, um, you and Andy, drove up 
um, to the station today in a, a pretty souped up cool Subaru. Um, and uh, Subaru, I don't know if you guys are, you're not from Maine, right? No, we are not yeah. from Maine. So you're not from Maine, but you may have already picked up since you've been in Maine that Subaru is practically the Maine state car, right? So tell us a little bit about what, what your relationship is with Subaru and uh, why is it that you have uh, Subaru with all sorts of beautiful natural his, natural scenes uh, on it and, and what the Subaru relationship is. Right, of course. So Subaru is one of our partners. They help to make the traveling trainer program possible. And myself and Andy, we are Subaru Leave No Trace traveling trainers. And now what this means is we travel all across the country educating people about how to recreate in a responsible way in our national parks, state parks, anywhere that we like to go when we're outside. And so myself and Andy, we do drive a Subaru Outback and we actually live out of it. We camp about 250 nights out of the year to make this possible, all the outreach and the education. So you go all over the country and teach people about the principles of Leave No Trace. That is correct. Great, great. So tell us a little bit more about those principles. Yeah, of course. So the seven principles program, uh, they go a little bit like this. So our first principle is to plan ahead and prepare, right? So if we can plan ahead and prepare, we can be absolutely ready for anything that we might encounter when we're outside adventuring. Our second principle is to travel and camp on durable surfaces. Our third principle is to dispose of waste properly. Number four is to leave what you find. Number five is to minimize our campfire impacts. Number six is to respect wildlife. And number seven is to be considerate to other visitors. Great, great. So there are seven principles of Leave No Trace that um, some really smart people have spent a lot of time digesting some research to translate into behavioral recommendations for people in the outdoors. Um, I imagine that um, how those seven principles uh, are implemented in different parts of the country changes, whether you're in a coastal Maine environment or in the desert southwest, right? So I would imagine it's quite cha- different in different areas. Um, Charlie, do you do you want to share a little bit about what you are envisioning as some of the um, sort of critical Leave No Trace related issues that you're seeing in the park? I'd be glad to. Uh, I would just add to what Steph and Andy had said first, though. Great. What I really like about the Leave No Trace program is it's a universal message. It applies everywhere you go and no matter what you're doing, whether you're at Acadia, Baxter, or overseas, whether you're hiking, paddling, camping, whatever it is. Uh, so at Acadia, the, the, the principles that, that I try to focus on that I think are most important for the park uh, have to do with hiking, primarily along the trails. We found that our trails are getting wider and wider, and, um, and it's very important. The messaging that we deliver to visitors is when you're on the trail, stay on the trail, if you need to step off the trail to take a picture or what have you, try to stay on the surface that's most durable. And for us, that's the rocks. We have a lot of rocks in Acadia. If you can stay on the ledges or on uh, surfaces like dry grasses, that helps preserve that natural environment. So travel and camp is a really important principle. Probably the second one that I would uh, uh, mention would be the leave what you find principle. And those that know me know that I'm uh, a little bit hung up on the issue of rocks in the park and the construction of cairns. Uh, I've been watching it for 30 years, and I understand the impulse to construct things out of rocks, to add a rock to the the cairn or to build your own uh, cairn and that sort of thing. But um, when, when visitors unknowingly pull rocks up out of the soil, we lose some plants, we lose some more <laughs> soil 
building all these cairns creates an aesthetic impact throughout the park. And Acadia was created largely for its natural beauty. And I think when we put these objects into the landscape, we're actually subtracting from the beauty of the park. Um, and the third thing is extra cairns can lead hikers astray and uh, get them a little bit lost and disoriented. So um, I like to call it this three-strike rule. And so it's, but it's a very hard principle to understand. It requires a little bit of restraint on the part of visitors and understanding. And uh, so my crew of Ridge Runners, who are actually out in the park today on their first day all by themselves, are out talking about both those principles to visitors right now. And what is a Ridge Runner? A Ridge Runner, uh, they're a, 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 a group of young folks usually, but not always, uh, uh, hired by Friends of Acadia and given to me to help maintain the cairns throughout the park and to deliver these Leave No Trace messages. Great. We've been in training with Steph and Andy the last few days, and they are armed and ready to go. Uh, uh, deliver those messages to visitors. Great. Um, the, um, the third thing I would mention has to do with uh, our best friends, uh, dogs, man's best friend, Mimun's best friend. Um, and Acadia, we're very lucky to be able to have our dogs in the park. Uh, and, um, you know, that's a holdover from the days before there was a park probably. But we do ask visitors to keep those dogs on a leash. And uh, we have important reasons for doing that. Uh, it protects your dog from porcupines in the park, from skunks, perhaps from other dogs that aren't quite as friendly. Um, it it uh, protects wildlife, especially ground nesting birds. Uh, and it, it keeps those dogs from disturbing other visitors. I often think about small kids and, and how they might uh, react to a, a large dog that comes running down the trail and, um, and they encounter this dog that maybe is taller than them and maybe it's barking and it's very frightening. So it certainly can disturb uh, other visitors if, you're not, um, if you don't have your dog on a leash and if they're not that well behaved. And finally, real quickly, uh, the carriage roads are very, very, very busy and we have some carriage road courtesy guidelines. We ask folks to keep to the right, to not obstruct the road. Uh, especially for bicycles, warn when you're passing from behind and keep your speed under control. These are all really straightforward, simple things that everybody can practice when they're visiting Acadia. Great, great, thanks. Um, w one question that I have, I think for, for all three of you, um, is how, so, so Charlie, I just heard you talk about courtesy guidelines um, and, and the <clears throat> Leave No Trace practices. Um, are about encouraging people to sort of make the right decision, right, when they're out in the natural world. Um, and so they have to learn what is the right decision. How do, are, is there an instance where um, it makes sense to go beyond recommendations and actually enter into an area of regulation, sort of requiring people to behave a certain way in certain areas? Maybe it's in high-use areas. Um, sort of what's, the, what's the, the, the trajectory from sort of leave no trace as um, recommended good practice to potentially uh, regulating people's decisions in the back country or the front country. Sure, Andy, let's start with you. Well, I think um, it's really important to realize with Leave No Trace that while we don't have our rules and regulations set in stone, that a lot of land managers do take those recommendations that we have and create their own rules and, rec and regulations for their parks. Uh, and there's really good reason for that because um, while these are science-based guidelines, they can be implemented as a rule or a regulation to really help protect these pristine areas that we love to visit. 
Um, and by creating a rule or a regulation based off of these principles, all of a sudden we have a situation where we can not only protect these places, but we can help to inform our visitors uh, on the actions that they're taking. Uh, Natalie, I think a, a couple of good examples from Acadia. Uh, right now, peregrine falcons in the park have just fledged from three different uh -huh. nest sites, and there are 11 young falcons flapping their wings around the cliffs of Acadia. Mm -hmm. And we close those trails, the hiking trails, the precipice, Jordan Cliffs trails, and others, in order to keep visitor visitors out of those areas so those birds can successfully nest. I think that's a good example where, yes, we do need regulations uh, to, to try to prevent folks, uh, discourage folks from going up there uh, on those hiking trails. By the way, they will uh, probably open sometime around the first week in August for those interested in, in taking one of those adventurous hikes. I can think another good example has to do with fires and camping in uh -huh. Acadia. We're a very small park. Boy, it would be nice to do some backcountry camping there, but with 2.8 million visitors, um, you know, the damage to the environment and the threat of a escaped fire from a campfire to the local communities is very high. Uh, we know there was a big fire here in 1947 that consumed a lot of acreage and, and buildings. And so I think those are two good examples where, yes, we need regulations, but we also, there's many other things that we can just simply try to educate visitors to do the appropriate thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so so re <clears throat> regarding educating visitors to do the right thing, um, how how is it going right when you're out in the field so Steph and Andy let's start with Steph maybe so you spend a lot of time teaching people about um, leave no trace um, do you find that um, there's a lot of things that people didn't know we can start from there that that really it's just skills that they need to learn um, and do people need to kind of relearn and relearn? How, how does that whole teaching process go? Yeah, for sure. We, when we're educating people, we definitely get a lot of those wow moments. And I can think of a great example here. Great. Um, there are wildflowers that line all of the roads and the carriage roads all over Acadia National Park. Um, and it, it's, you know, growing up as a kid, it, it might be nice to have picked a bouquet of wildflowers, but there's actually a reason why we shouldn't pick those wildflowers, right? When we pick those wildflowers, we're also picking the seeds for the next generation of wildflowers to come. So we want to be careful not to do that. So when the next time we go to Acadia National Park or any national park, uh, we'll be able to experience those wildflowers and have those moments that we can take with us forever. But a really great alternative to, to picking those wildflowers would be to take a photo, something that will last a long time. So that's, that's a wow moment. Um, something that somebody wouldn't necessarily have thought about uh, without a little bit of education. And we find that it goes a long way. Great. Andy, what are you seeing? Well, I think it's really important to draw a connection here between Acadia and Leave No Trace at the moment. And uh, just so everyone is aware that uh, Acadia National Park has been um, nominated as part of a Leave No Trace hotspot. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But basically, Steph and I are here for a full week. And our goal is to give uh, outreach to the visitors, but also to train a lot of the people who are here working in the park. Uh, so for example, we've done six trainings so far with a lot of park staff, and we've done a two-day trainer course. And a trainer course is a two-day certification process through Leave No Trace, where they learn a lot about not only the principles, but how to interact with people uh, in the out of doors. 
whenever they see them, maybe doing things that are less than leave no trace, and how we can uh, interact with them to create a more constructive atmosphere. Um, so there's a lot of things that we cover. We cover a lot of different surfaces that are more or less durable to walk on. Um, so it, it's certainly a great way to create this leave no trace culture uh, within the park so that we can avoid Acadia National Park from being loved to death. Uh, so that's our goal is to provide this outreach, a little bit of education, and hopefully see this leave no trace culture uh, continue to thrive here. Great, great. Um, if you're just joining us, um, this is Natalie Springle, your host for Coastal Conversations. Um, you're listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Um, I believe that we have Sam on the line, so we'll come back to this topic because I think it's an important one um, in, in a few minutes. But first, let's, let's introduce Samantha White, who is the program manager at Ripple Effect, and she'll explain to us what that is. Um, and she is the state advocate for Leave No Trace. Um, Sam, are you on the line? I am. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for having me on the program today. Great. Thanks for joining us, Sam. It's great to have you here. Um, so tell us um, a little bit what the main state advocate is for Leave No Trace. Well, state advocates are um, individuals who act as resources to connect local organizations and people who want to uh, promote Leave No Trace ethics either through the organization or in their daily life with the center, which is based in Boulder, Colorado. So really, as a Leave No, Tra Leave no Trace state advocate, you're kind of a conduit and a facilitator to connect people with each other and help build a network of volunteers. Great, great. And I know that you are, you are with Ripple Effect, which does all kinds of outdoor programming for youth. Tell us a little bit about what Ripple Effect is and how it connects to Leave No Trace programming. Yeah, so um, Ripple Effect is a nonprofit youth and community development organization, and we are based in Portland and from Cow Island in Casco Bay. So, as our name implies, um, we believe strongly that each individual's action has a direct impact on their community and environment. So, through all of our programming, we encourage our participants to see themselves as agents of positive change that can help beautify our planet, help connect our communities, and really just make the world a better place. It may be a lofty goal, but we believe we're doing good work. That's great. That's great. And um, uh, tell us a little bit as the advocate. So you talked about um, being the Leave No Trace advocate. You serve as a liaison between the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethic which um, Sam and, I mean, which Andy and Steph here in the studio with us represent, um, and uh, the liaison between them and sort of the state of Maine in general. So what are some of the things that you're doing? Who, what are some, some examples? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of exciting stuff. So in, in general, connecting uh, master trainers that are located throughout the state with organizations that are interested in having awareness workshops, or um, are looking for materials that they can hand up to their participants. But also right now, a really exciting thing that we've started, I'm working with the main Leave No Trace Steering Committee. To, um, it's a two-year process, and we're building a state Leave No Trace chapter in Maine. So the hope is by having a group of individuals that are dedicated to making those connections and, and growing our volunteer base, 
will be able to have a greater impact throughout the state. Great. And who do you, who are the kinds of people that you work with? Are they um, outdoor centers? Are they, you know, outdoor clubs? Are they retail stores? Um, tell us a little bit about the kinds of people who are engaged in this work. Well, really, all of the above. I mean, any organization that takes clients to students outdoors or um, directly benefits from having access to wilderness space is a, a prime candidate for a Leave No Trace Awareness workshop or just promoting those ethics in the um, programming that they have. And then for you know, outdoor re- retailers, the same applies because we're all actively engaging in our wild spaces. And so it behooves us to promote the ethics that are going to preserve those plants. Great, great. And um, I think we're going to, Charlie wants to chime in here and then we'll come right back to you, Sam. Yeah, I would just, I would just say that um, a number of years ago, a few of us uh, here in the state formed the steering committee that Sam mentioned, because we realized that um, in many ways, we're talking to and trying to educate the same people, whether it's Baxter State Park or the Maine Islands or the Appalachian Trail. And so we've, we've kind of chugged along um, doing some projects t- collectively together um, over those years to try to uh, educate uh, visitors and residents of the state about Leave No Trace. Yours truly did some public service announcements a number of years ago, mm-hmm. splashing his face over the, uh, the TV. We've run some master classes that Sam mentioned. Um, those are classes designed for people who are really going to take Leave No Trace and run with it within their organization. For example, someone like myself who works for um, um, uh, a park or a forest, uh, folks that might be leading uh, summer camp programs that can then train their staff to take Leave No Trace out to their uh, their students and clients, uh, maybe folks with a conservation organization like Maine Coast Heritage Trust uh, or other organizations. And so we've had folks from the University of Maine, the University of Maine Machias, from um, a number of different organizations from the Bureau of Parks and Lands uh, participate in our steering committee over the years. And it's been really great to work together. And I think we've done some some really good work collectively as well. Great, great. <coughs> and um, Sam, um, if we can come back to you for a second. Um, so making the commitment to become the Maine State Leave No Trace advocate, um, I imagine that's a pretty good, big commitment. How did you how did you get into this? What, what was your trajectory as an individual um, that brought you to the point where you felt, you know, this is really important. It's really connected to my life and my work, and I'm going to do this. Yeah, I um, was first introduced to Leave No Trace ethics through a NOLC or National Outdoor Leadership School, and then I became a master trainer, and I brought um, Leave No Trace principles to uh, my work in outdoor education. So I've been an outdoor educator for many years now, and it has always been very important to me that my students, when they leave a program that I'm that I'm leading, they leave knowing how they can responsibly engage with the wilderness. And from that, I um, was I came to Maine. I am not a native Mainer, unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. but I was making all these great connections in in southern Maine. But it's an enormous state, and in a state advocate position, 
I needed to be filled, and there was a call for volunteers. I um, was really excited to have the opportunity to connect with uh, Greater Maine and be able to help all of our wild spaces be preserved because it's something that's so incredibly important to me, and I think it's important to everybody in Maine and in every state. Yeah, great. Um, Andy, you had something you wanted to add. Yeah. Uh, so the state advocate position is a really noble position. And I just want to mention this because Sam is doing something that is really outstanding, and that's taking the Leave No Trace message and really sharing it to everyone within Maine. It's important to note that this is a volunteer position. Um, so she's not being paid for this, and her outreach is really what's creating this culture within uh, the Maine state here. That's exciting. That's exciting. Um, Sam, I have, I have one more question for you related to what you were just talking about, about being an outdoor educator for a long time. Um, what do you see when you um, teach Leave No Trace ethics with kids? What are you seeing out there? How, how, does, it, how does it go over? Um, how do you teach it? Tell us a little bit. Illustrate what happens in the field. Yeah, well, I think a lot of, a lot of things that I work with they're maybe violating a leave no trace ethic out of ignorance. So it's really easy to think that, you know, for instance, it's like Charlie was talking about earlier, it's okay for me to build this Karen here because it's just one Karen and I really like stacking rocks on top of each other because it's fun. Um, but when you talk to students about how if, if you behave in a way where if every single other person who was hiking in Acadia or Baxter or anywhere, Bradbury, um, if they did the same thing, hopefully you're behaving in such a way that the that space is preserved, if not improved. So it's really cool when you frame Leave No Trace ethics in that way, that they're, they're not rules, they're principles that if we follow, we'll be able to have access to these beautiful places that really help us connect to our, our planet. And that in, in itself connects us to everything else that we're doing in our lives. Um, they really are open to, to learning the ethics and, and applying them to what, to what they do in their daily life. And it's also very cool. I mean, kids learn by example. So, when I'm walking down the trail and I'm picking up micro trash that I see, it's only a couple days into a program before everybody's kind of doing that. And at the end of the night, we'll like compare micro trash piles. It's, um, it's really cool. I think that the students by and large are very interested in, in protecting the planet. They recognize that we have done some very serious damage over the years and that we, we can positively impact our planet. And, by following Leave No Trace Ethics, we do that. That's great. That's a, as a, as a mom, that's a, an inspiring note. Um, so that's great. I'm going to look to Charlie and Andy and Steph and ask you guys if you have anything that you would like Sam to touch on before we let her go. No, I just want to thank you for having me on the program. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm so glad that Acadia was chosen as a hot, chosen as a hot spot, and I hope that people listening are going to go out and, you know, engage with the wilderness in a responsible way. Great. Thank you so much, Sam. It's great to, to chat with you. Have a good yeah, day. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Um, so Sam just mentioned Acadia being a hotspot, and I don't think that we've zeroed in on that yet, um, or not in much detail. Does one of you want to explain what that means? Andy, go for it. Uh, so Leave No Trace has a lot of different programs, and one of those programs is the hotspot program. So hotspots are nominated areas uh, of public lands all across the country um, that have been nominated by just people who are concerned about these areas being loved to death by human recreation. Um, so that's everything from walking down the trail with your dog to sea kayaking to however you interact with those lands. But people are getting out and not necessarily interacting with these uh, places in a way that is Leave No Trace. Now, it's really important to note that this isn't always malicious intent. People aren't entirely going out there and really making that connection, saying, oh, I really want to throw my banana peel on the ground. Um, but they are getting out there and not really knowing how to interact with these places in that responsible way. Um, so the goal for a Leave No Trace hotspot is to gain awareness and educate the people, the visitors, the staff, everyone involved with the park so that we can create this Leave No Trace culture within the area and hopefully we'll see an immediate change. So this seven-day hot or yeah seven-day event called the Hotspot is broken up into several different days and a and, bunch and that's of the events. event that you're right in the middle of right now, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Go ahead. So we're day four now uh, okay, of the Leave No Trace Hotspot. We've had in two Acadia. days of trainings, um, and we've also had the trainer course. And then just yesterday, myself and Steph were working with uh, local volunteers, uh, friends of Acadia, to uh, create a little bit of a wider trail for Jordan Pond where all these blueberry bushes and other bushes are kind of encroaching on that trail. And that trail is really designed for people to get out so that they have easy access to the outdoors. And when those bushes and things kind of go onto that trail, it uh, forces people to maybe make decisions as to stepping off of that trail, maybe avoiding those things. So um, working with local land management agencies is really at the core of what the hotspot program is all about. Great, yeah, it really seems, I mean, that, that example, is really um, telling in terms of one would think, well, you know, cutting back the brush is the opposite of leave no trace, but the context you just put it in, that you're um, making some decisions in partnership with natural resource agencies, with park services and others to enable people to make the right decision, help people succeed in the outdoors. Yeah. Um, Stephanie? Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's important to note that, you know, millions and millions of people are getting out enjoying these parks and you know, it's great to see that, uh, but we're not necessarily creating more land when we go out. So it's super important to be practicing these leave no trace principles. Um, and hopefully our hopes for this hotspot is that we are going to gain a lot of awareness so that we can protect Acadia National Park. Great, great. Um, we'll, we'll get back to the hotspot in a minute. I just wanted to let folks know who are listening, that you're listening to WERU 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. And if you're listening and you've had your own Leave No Trace experience or you have a question, some of this stuff you th it might be a little bit sort of Maybe you'd like a little bit of help trying to figure out how to handle a particular Leave No Trace question or just have a comment. Feel free to call the station um, and we're, we're opening the lines to en encourage good conversation with you guys. So if you want to call, we're at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-WERU. Um, so, Charlie, I wanted to hear a little bit from the Park Service perspective when you guys... Um, heard that the Leave No Trace Center for <clears throat> Outdoor Ethics was interested in um, having Acadia be one of their hotspots. What'd you think? Well, I took a big gulp at first. I was like, oh, <laughs> can I really do this? And then 
realized that it was a completely natural fit. It was something that we had to take advantage of to um, to generate some publicity, and hence even this radio show with you, uh, uh, and um, and raise awareness about the need for Leave No Trace, uh, especially in the centennial year, as I described earlier, because of the, the high visitation that we have and, and continue to have. So um, it's been a busy week. It's not over yet, but uh, we've been reaching out to, uh, as Andy said, a lot of park staff and volunteers with a Leave No Trace message, um, you know, with... Um, uh, uh, articles in the newspaper and uh, anything we can do to raise awareness. So let's let, let folks know that it's important that um, that they do their level best to try to practice these behaviors every time they go out into the park or any natural area uh, in order to preserve it for uh, for the next generation and in order to uh, ensure that everybody that visits these places has a really good experience. Great, great. Yeah, Andy. Uh, it's important to note that many people are aware of pack it in, pack it out, this saying that uh -huh. many of us have heard over and over again. And that is a great leave no trace message. And it comes down to everything that we bring in with us. You know, while we do have a lot of trash that we bring with us out into the trail or the hike or the boat, um, it's also those other things that we may not really consider as trash. Um, so even our, um, our banana peels, our orange peels, apple cores, while those things may be considered biodegradable, those are still things that we're introducing into the environment that aren't native to that place. So even by throwing a banana peel on the side of the road, there's a lot of negative effects that can uh, occur from that. So for example, if we throw that banana peel onto the side of the road, rodents could be attracted to that. And while that may not seem like a big deal, all of a sudden we have birds of prey that are attracted to those rodents because they're in plain view. Um, and then when that happens, we have busy cars that are going by, and so those birds are at risk of being hit by cars. And that's something entirely avoidable by people. Uh, so if we just take that moment to understand that every one of our actions that we uh, do while we interact with our lands really does have a cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to add on to what Andy was just explaining, if we throw a banana peel outside in nature off the trail or an apple core or an orange peel, that's something that's going to end up lasting about two years outside. So not something that we would normally think about. Two years, huh? About two For years. For an apple core. Right. Wow. Wow. Um, do you find that um, once people sort of are exposed to this kind of information, like it takes two years, I had no idea for an apple core to decompose, um, does it... With practice, does it become habit? It does. It really does uh, become habit. And it's something that, you know, Steph and I have really harnessed with. And we just bring a little black bag with us. And whatever we have, we just throw it in there. And like Sam was mentioning just a few moments ago, um, when we're walking down the trail, it comes down to making sure that we pick up little pieces of trash that we see. Because as soon as one person sees that there's some trash or a banana peel on the side of the trail, for instance, um, then it becomes a norm. You know, everyone thinks, oh, well, I can do that, too, if that's what people do here. But if we can remove some of those articles of trash that we see along the trail, all of a sudden we create a way more cleaner space and people are less likely to leave their trash behind. Uh, apple peels in general last up to two to four months, a little bit less than those banana peels and orange peels. Um, the reason why those peels last longer is because the sun will turn them into a crisp and it's a very mm. fibrous material, so it takes a lot longer to break down. But apple core is still not native you know, to our trail systems here still need to be uh, respectful of the ecology of the area when we're eating those apples. Interesting. 
and I would add, Natalie, that um, Acadia trails are, are very, very clean. Visitors are, are really good. They understand the pack it in, pack it out very, very well. Um, I think uh, um, they help us clean it up a lot of times. I think other folks are out there picking up trash. You'll always find little stuff here or there. Um, but I think it's taken it beyond uh, the dispose of waste principle to the other six principles uh, that uh, would be a big help for the park. Some of the things that we've talked about today, like leave what you find and staying on the trail, those sorts of things. Um, but uh, we're, we're grateful that uh, uh, park trails and carriage roads are so clean. Yeah, given the number of visitors to Acadia, it is pretty remarkable yeah. how committed people clearly are already in some ways. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But I think that we are joined by um, someone who's on the line. Uh, Frank from Lemoyne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'd like to uh, bring it up a little from the banana peels and apple Great. Um, I see on the news or the a National Park Show by Zion National Park, which I have been to, which has a few more visitors than Acadia, but only a few. I think it's time that Acadia gets rid of the cars and just use the buses. Uh, it's a small park. I've been here 44 years. I've been out, we even worked at the park one time for the government. And I think it's a good idea that we eliminate cars. And I'm a real car person. It's probably driving nuts, but I, I'd sacrifice by the bus system. And that's one issue. And another issue is I've been playing phone tag with the superintendent Jeffers, so we haven't had a chance to talk, but I did hear on MPBN that our local senators, state senators, I mean U.S. senators, mentioned that not, they're not real fond of the corporate sponsorship that's sneaking into the park, i.e. Coca-Cola on some trail, uh, Verizon, Jordan, Pond House. I'm appalled by that. And, and I listen to this station because we're a non-corporate sponsored radio station, and I don't begrudge the Subaru people for having a job and getting to travel around the country. But I don't want to hear the word Subaru on this radio station. That's one reason we have WRU. That's more political than nature and apple cores than banana peels. That banana peels and apple cores are kind of like icing on the cake. We don't want corporate. I do not want to go to Donald Trump Grand Canyon. I sure as hell don't want to go to Hillary Clinton. Cadillac Mountain. <laughs> I don't want that yeah. to happen. So, you know, we're yeah. part of an anti-corporate movement here, some people. So please, let's get rid of the corporate stuff in Acadia. I mean, I know the Jordan Pine House and those people, that corporate Acadia Corp. Okay, whatever. But Yeah, Frank, you, I, you make some Subaru really good people, comments. The people who work there, and I got nothing against Subaru and themselves, like there's a car. But I don't want them sponsoring anything in the park. Yeah, I'll hear, I'll hear your responses if you have any. Great. I hope you do. Yeah, don't I'm go sure. Back to Apple, don't go back to Apple Cores and Bananas. That's, uh, that's small potatoes. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Frank. Those are really, really good comments. And uh, I, I heard I was seeing a lot of nodding and sort of trying to figure out how to respond. So I think I think you will hear some responses here. Um, really appreciate your call. Really good messages there. Um, let's let's. So there there was sort of two different questions here. One having to do with um, the potential uh, corporatization of our public lands, right? Um, which is a really important question um, and a very current question. And I'm glad that Frank brought it up because it's something that that we probably all are thinking about already. And then the other one was. Um, 
specific to um, the potential of getting rid of cars in Acadia National Park entirely. Um, so, so let's start with cars for a minute. Um, and I'm, I'm going to turn to to Charlie um, as our Park Service rep here and tell us a little bit about um, maybe what the transportation plan is about and sort of what the car connection is. I think Frank asks a, a really good question. Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question, and I kind of guess that question was directed at me, which is fine. Uh, we are in the midst of a transportation planning process. Like uh, anybody that lives here or anybody that visits here, we know that there are challenges with uh, congestion of vehicles and also crowding of visitors on our, 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 our trails and at places like Thunder Hole and and Cadillac Mountain, and the transportation planning process is intended to try to address that. We are uh, um, always seeking public feedback on those uh, at any time. Uh, later this summer or early fall, we'll come out with some alternatives for dealing with um, cars and, and all transportation issues in the park. And I'd certainly encourage Frank and everybody out there to get involved uh, because just like we can't manage the park um, without the help of visitors practicing Leave No Trace, we really need everybody's help to contribute to helping us figure out how to manage it at a higher level, at the 30,000-foot level of the park, if you will. How many cars can we allow, if any? Can we, uh, can we really deliver everybody into the park by bus? And if so, what's the right number of people? You know, what is the capacity of Acadia National Park? Is it a capacity for vehicles? Is it for people? Is it for both? These are all the kinds of questions that are being asked in the transportation plan. And I certainly encourage everybody that has an interest to participate in that. Um, regards to corporate sponsorship, there's not too much that I can say about that. I'm not that uh, up to speed on what's happening. There is a new uh, um, corporate sponsorship policy underway in the Park Service. And once again, this is the, the time when you need to contribute and, and write in to the director of the Park Service or to your local superintendent and let folks know what you think about that. Uh, certainly, um, you know, we, we don't want to see names going, corporate names going up on, on features mm -hmm. throughout the park either. And, uh, but it remains to be seen how this uh, new policy will unfold and what actually happens. Great. Thank you, Charlie. Um, I just wanted to thank Frank again for bringing up the, the tough issues that uh, really this station, mm -hmm. as you said, are all about sort of exploring. Um, I um, believe that we have another caller. Um, so, uh, John from Thomaston, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'd also like to weigh in on this corporate sponsorship business. Uh, I think the concept of Leave No Trace is, is fantastic. But I don't think Subaru or any other corporate sponsor or car manufacturer especially has any place in this. I mean, basically, you're sort of greenwashing the whole thing by, you know, having your bills paid by Subaru to do this project. Uh, I think, if, by example, why not get to these parts by public transportation and promote your message there? So uh, I just don't see the place. I don't see the place for the Subaru uh for Subaru even being talked about as a sponsor on a, a station like ERU. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm coming from with this. Thanks. Great. Thanks, uh, John, from Thomaston. That's a, a great comment and follows up with Frank's comment really perfectly. Um, I'm, I'm seeing from our Leave No Trace folks, they're nodding, and, and clearly they have faced this conversation before. Um, so let's put you guys on the spot and hear what you, what you think. How might you respond to these kinds of concerns? Um, 
Yeah. Sure. So uh, Leave No Trace as an organization is a nonprofit, and I think it's really important to start there. So our mission is very clear. We encourage people to get outdoors, have fun, do what you like to do outside, whether that's walking down the city street and then stopping in the park and watching the clouds go by and the and laying down in the grass, or you prefer those month-long expeditions wherever you like to visit. Um, but I think that Subaru does have a pretty clear role here in offering us the ability to share our message and our mission with millions of people every single year. And honestly, it wouldn't be possible without their support. Um, so that's why this name exists. Um, myself and Steph and three other teams of traveling trainers, we travel all across the country year-round um, and talking with people anywhere from the kindergarten level in schools and elementary schools up through the high school level and middle school level, even up to the college and university level. Um, and the only reason that we get to do that is because we have a car that helps us to get from point A to point B um, so that we can really offer this message to everyone that we go to. Um, and as for a company, Subaru is doing a pretty decent job at making sure that they do their part to make sure that they are leaving less of an, an environmental uh, impact and footprint. For example, their uh, factory right in Indiana has an amazing uh, zero waste initiative where they take every single car that's manufactured there and with every single car, they're actually creating zero waste and they're producing all the electricity that it takes um, to make those cars right on site. Um, so for the ability to have this message the, to reach millions of visitors every single year, reach millions of people every single year, uh, wouldn't be possible without their support. It's an inherent complexity for sure. Um, Steph, you're nodding. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just have to agree with everything that Andy said. Um, Subaru, they really just helped to allow us to reach millions of people every single year and educate people on things that they wouldn't necessarily think about when you go outside into the outdoors, how to recreate responsibly. Great. Um, Charlie, yeah. I, I, I have to agree, too. There are, there are trade-offs with, with everything that we do. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, I think f from my perspective working in the park it's it's well worth the cost of whatever it is to uh, to have uh, the traveling trainers uh, come here in whatever car it is um, uh, with whatever uh, supplies they come with because uh, they offer up uh, training that uh, would would be much more difficult for us to offer ourselves uh, here at the park and um, and I think uh, the benefit uh, outweighs the, the cost of it but it's a it's a it's a legitimate question to ask for sure yeah it is absolutely <clears throat> a legitimate question to ask and it, it's um it's a challenging one it and the, I think the word trade-off is the one that you zeroed in Charlie that that makes a lot of sense um so thanks again for John and Frank for for both bringing up that issue um, as, Steph and Andy, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, have you guys faced the question related to the corporatization of public lands in other regions? Sort of what are some of the trends that you're seeing around the country related to that? Or is that something you haven't really been exposed to yet? Yeah. I, I don't think we necessarily get get that kind of uh, question, um, but we get a lot of questions about Subaru uh -huh. um, and why we're associated with Subaru and how they help us to do what we do. Um, but we're really grateful for their support. And, you know, they, like I said, they allow us to reach millions of people every single year. And it's important to note that um, while a lot of people do drive around cars, you know, so do we. And unfortunately, we do drive a car to get from one place to the other. Um, and because there's two of us and we're able to do what we need to do to achieve our mission, um, that is why we do it. It would be amazing if we could just ride bicycles every single place that we go and really reduce that carbon footprint. 
Um, and myself and Steph try and ride bikes whenever we're visiting a park and we, you know, we park our car and then we go and we take our, our bikes around and we get to visit natural places like that. Um, so there's certainly trade-offs that we get to do as well. Right. And just to, to add on to that, you know, we don't live in a home, so we're not constantly using electricity or gas on a, on a stove or heating our home. You know, we're driving around in a car, uh, so we're really only paying for gas. And a lot of the times we, we're using solar panels to, to get our electric and, and things of the stores of the sort, excuse me. So we're trying to be as sustainable as possible while traveling across the country. Yeah, within the confines of the car. Um, we have another caller, Spencer from China. Welcome to the program. Yeah, uh, thanks. Appreciate it. And I, I do appreciate the work you do and everything, but I do have a similar response to our earlier caller. And I don't know if you just realized, but you just read me a Subaru commercial. So um, that that's where the problem for us comes in morally. And I think it's important that, that uh, good works not necessarily be connected to corporate sponsorship. Thanks. Thanks, Spencer. Yeah. So any responses? I think our, our callers are raising a concern from a, mo- a bunch of people that is a valid concern. Um, and so maybe it's something that Leave No Trace will sort of think through. I'm sure you probably think through it a, a lot. Um, Charlie, yeah. You know, I, th- I think that's a slippery slope with a lot of nonprofit organizations around the country is where, where do you get your money from to accomplish your mission so i don't think it's um you know um uh, focused solely on the leave no trace program necessarily um and that's that's the world we live in and just to add on top of that um as a nonprofit, we are a member-driven organization, and those who have those are the people who have the influence on um, what we teach and what we communicate with people. Um, these corporate sponsors don't have the ability to change what we're teaching people. Uh, if you sit through one of our awareness workshops, I think you'd be pretty impressed with how we don't talk about our corporate partners and highlight them um, to that level. So. It's really about educating and informing people on responsible outdoor recreation, and that's where our stance really does lie, and that's where those partners do lie. Great. Thank you, Spencer, for your call. Um, So um, tell us a little bit about um, some of the other trends that you're seeing um, related to so the, the, the focus of the show is on Leave No Trace in the backcountry, um, and the, the calls that we've just had are right on target in terms of helping sort of navigate um, basically where people get their funding from. Um, but for a minute, um, tell, tell, tell us, all three of you, some of the other trends that you're seeing in, in public lands um, related to how people use the land and how people are... Um, perhaps also sort of funding some of their good efforts. I'll go ahead and start. Um, one thing that, uh, that we, we uh, have been seeing over the years, and it's actually related to the transporta- transportation planning uh, effort that's underway, is that our trails seem to be getting wider. Uh, our trails foreman and I uh, interact pretty regularly, and, and I know he's come to me many times over the last 10 years and said, well, we built this trail wider to accommodate more folks, but it's still not wide enough. And so that's a, a good example of an impact that we see that could potentially be uh, influenced by a good leave no trace practices, 
but it's also more related to how many folks can be accommodated on this particular trail or in, indeed throughout the park uh, as we wrestle with the, these broader issues of transportation planning. And uh, on the transportation plan, Charlie, can you just um, let people know, because clearly there's, there's some really strong thoughts out there, rightly so, about transportation in Acadia. Um, just remind us the nuts and bolts of how people can be involved. Yeah, uh, go to the park website. It'll, you'll find a link uh, to, uh, to comments for the transportation plan. Uh, the Park Service has a website. You can submit comments electronically uh, through that link. Um, and you can always simply write a letter into the park and let us know um, how you feel about things, what kind of experience you had, uh, or what you think we should do. How do you think um, we should be managing uh, the vehicles and the visitors to Acadia National Park? Great, great. Thanks, Charlie. And uh, Steph, can you tell us um, similarly how people can um, either learn more about Leave No Trace in terms of the detailed, practical um, uh, skills in the backcountry, um, for one. And then also, um, I think our callers raised some really important questions um, here on community radio. Um, and so if folks wanted to take those thoughts um, to another level within Leave No Trace, how might they do that? Sure. Uh, so you can definitely visit the website at lnt.org and you can search for the Leave No Trace Traveling Trainer calendar. Um, we could be in your area and we would love to have you come sit in on an awareness workshop. Uh, that's a great way to learn all the tips and tricks to how to practice Leave No Trace, um, responsible outdoor ethics. Uh, in terms of being in touch about the corporate sponsors, um, it, it would be a good idea maybe to look on Facebook or social media sites. Also, um, feel free to reach out to us um, at info at lnt.org. We can answer any questions that you might have. Great, great. And um, uh, just because I, I'm sort of um, putting myself in the brains of Frank and John and Spencer right now, um, uh, would concerns be sent up the flagpole? Absolutely. You know, all real concern, all these questions are real concerns, and these are things that we need to juggle with as uh, a nonprofit. Um, and it's important to hear what people have to say who are really involved with our nonprofit. So if you find yourself aligned with the mission of Leave No Trace and you really want to make a, a lasting change, uh, we're very open to suggestions, and um, we certainly want to make sure that we're hearing everyone out. And our uh, devotion is completely to our members. Uh, and our partners help us to be uh, devoted to those partners or to our members rather sorry great great thank you so much um, unfortunately we've come to the end of our time on coastal conversations today about leave no trace in acadia national park and stewardship for the next 100 years and i'd like to thank our guests for their time and good work um, thanks for joining us in the studio charlie jacoby the natural resource specialist from acadia national park um, steph watton and andy mossy from the leave no trace center for outdoor ethics um, thanks to all three of you for your participation and your willingness to be challenged and respond to the questions. Um, also, thanks to Samantha White, um, the program manager at Ripple Effect and state advocate for Leave No Trace. Um, thanks to all those who listen 
mind and especially to our callers. Really appreciated your insights and thoughts. Um, Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our